who else is doing this? No one. It's so it's so like weird and silly, and they're just having fun with it. Keep some more respect to them, really, for uh, for going out and making this. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. This episode, we're going to be talking about the 2016 comedy pop star Never Stop Never Stopping from The Lonely Island, and I am honored to be joined by Sandro Falce of uh, uh, Oldie But a Goodie. So tell people a little uh, bit. It. Tell people a little bit about uh, your show, and uh, you know what 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 you guys uh, what you guys cover over there. Yeah. Um, so Oldie Buddy Goodie is hosted by myself and my good friend Zach. We've been doing shows since like 2012. Um, we came up with this last year, where basically we decided to force ourselves to watch the entirety of 1994 and all the various films that came out then. Um, so every week we have a look at what came out that week back in 94. We pick one, we watch it, we do a full synopsis review. Um, a lot of them aren't very good, but we found some some hidden gems and that sort of stuff. It's been, um, yeah, it's been really fun so far. 94 is a strange year. Yeah, is that was that kind of the rationale for, for selecting it, that there are so many films that we're still talking about, Lion King, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, things like that, but then a lot of other ones that have basically fallen off the face of the earth? Yeah, pretty much. Um, that was pretty much entirely it. That and the fact that it was 25 years ago as well. So each each episode is a bit of a celebration, I guess, for like 25 years of this film being around. That was the thinking there. Okay, yeah. I just did uh, an episode recently with someone who has a, a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. And they the first year that they covered was 1994. And now they're doing 2007. So yeah, there is I, I, this podcast, especially, you know, I've been talking a lot about the films of 1999. It's 20 years later, mm-hmm. it's kind of in the ether. Uh, but 1994 is, is, I think, really fascinating, kind of underrated in that regard, as far as the the range of films that that came out that year. And, you know, I was a uh, 11 year old, in 1994. So I remember seeing like not, well, not Pulp Fiction, but uh, like The Mask <laughs> yeah. and The Lion King. And like, there was a lot of big movies that came out that year. So that, that must be fun for you to go. And I guess, how many of these movies have you, are you revisiting or a lot of them or are most um, of them new watches for you? A lot of the heavy hitters I've seen before. Right. So like Shawshank, as you mentioned, Pulp Fiction, Lion King, uh, Forrest Gump, that sort of stuff. True Lies was a favorite of mine uh, from from my teenage years. I say that being as it was not long ago at all, but, you know, um, uh, but there have been a lot of stuff that I've been discovering for the first time. Um, a couple of films that I really didn't expect to enjoy as much as I did were like My Girl 2, which oh, was yeah. a sequel to a coming of age film from like 93. Two, I want to say, um, and that was really cool t- to discover that uh, the River Wild most recently was a very weird kind of action thriller with like horror elements set on a river <laughs> with Kevin Bacon, like Meryl Streep's um, own only like major blockbuster like action. It's like the only time she tried her her hand at being an action hero. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, just stuff like that, just kind of going through the year. And we kind of 
the the way we explain it is like we're gold panning like we're just we're searching for films that no one remembers um films that no one's talking about films that probably no one even saw i mean we've done heaps of films where they've made one million in the box office and that's about it and no one talks about them so it's just kind of just finding stuff like that really has been really really fun and then you have smaller films like Clerks that made very little, you know, only a few million or whatever at the box office and have gone on to become cult classics. I mean, it, as of this recording earlier this week, Kevin Smith said he announced that he's doing Clerks 3 again. I mean, mm. I said that before, but we'll see if it actually happens this time. It's, it's <laughs> these movies that have become, uh, you know, a little indie darlings and then developed into kind of more major, more mainstream franchises down the line. So that's, yeah, that's. That's kind of a fun, a fun concept. Uh, did you come up with the year first and then fine tune, you know, fine tune the the concept for the show, or did you uh, come up with the idea and then were like, well, what would be an interesting year to cover that we haven't, you know, maybe maybe that you hadn't seen a lot of the movies up too as well. Yeah. Um, I th- pretty sure we came up with the concept first and then the year the year was actually pretty late in the process as well. We came up with the title and even had the artwork before we decided on ninety four. Um, but that really was, it was like, we wanted a year that wasn't so recent or like too far away. We wanted something in like that sweet area where we could get a lot of nostalgia, I guess. And 94 was a perfect year for that. So, um, I mean, the the Lion King as well, we, we were definitely influenced by the fact that the Lion King remake came out this year. Um, so we would have a chance to talk about it in that way because we kind of compared the two a lot. Um, yeah, that was pretty much the major reasons, I guess it wasn't, we didn't think about it as hard as some people think that we did, which I find really (laughs) funny. Well, no, because I think, you know, you hit, you hit on the perfect year, but as far as the, the balance of films, as far as the 25th anniversary, and it's recent enough that, as you said, with the Lion King remake, like everybody is still steeped in nineties nostalgia. So you kind of have Mm. that built in audience already going for it. Uh, but Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So you started, did you start this in January and you're just going through the whole year? Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, From January to December, who knows what year two is going to be. We have a very silly idea about rolling like a pair of dice to find out (laughs) what year we're doing. Um, But who knows whether that will happen. That's a couple months away. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Very exciting. So definitely... Listeners, check out uh, check out that podcast, and uh, it'll. I'm, I'll be curious to see what year you guys cover next, just because mm. there there are so many. You know, I, I love the idea of going back into. A, I'm actually reading a, a book now about. Uh, I'm reading a book about 1999 and kind of going through the year mm. like season by season and like with interviews with the filmmakers and the and the actors and things like that. And I think that's really it's really fun to go back and kind of take a, a snapshot of a particular year in cinema history, even though, you know, we're also kind of living through one now, obviously. So it's like, it's, it's fun to imagine what we're going to be saying about 2019 as a year in cinema, yeah. 25 years down the road and going back a couple of decades kind of puts that in perspective a little bit. And like the, the way that these films kind of shape culture as, as, you know, as they go along and the, the way that the appreciation mm. grows or diminishes over time. So that's, it's a very cool idea. So definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely love that. It's really interesting to see which films were hits and which were misses as well. Like the Coen Brothers film from March, I want to say, completely bombed, but it's so much better than a lot of the other stuff that we've done, um, it, which is like really, really interesting. Like um, 
recently we did uh, The Specialist, a Sylvester Stallone film that made all of the money. Um, but it's the first time I would I had ever heard of it. So stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's That's actually kind of, in a way, a good segue, because the movie we're talking about here is a movie that nobody saw three years ago, <laughs> but I feel like is already kind of starting to gain momentum. So I, I think that's kind of a, a good transition. We're going to be talking about pop star Never Stop Never Stopping this episode, so let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. My fans and me, we're in love. I write the songs that make the our bedroom and the stage the stage is where we fuck Connor for real is actually saving the record industry Connor's hot you tell me you didn't see him and say yo he's the star this guy right here he's gonna make it big it's Connor I've got it all Currently is 32 people on his personal payroll. Sure, Connor surrounds himself with people who are agreeable. That was a little bit of the trailer for Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, directed by Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Ticone. Obviously, two thirds of The Lonely Island. So before we get into the movie, what are you know, what are your overall thoughts on The Lonely Island? Are you a big fan of their music and, and their uh, comedy and their roots on SNL and things like that? Oh, yeah, massive fan. Um, I've been a huge fan of, of all three of them for a while. Uh, I think it was actually Zach, the co-host from Oldie Buddy Goody, who got me onto them in the first place as well, back when um, Turtleneck and Chains came out, their <laughs> second album. Right. I think they were still on SNL at that point. I'm not sure. Um, I believe but so. Yeah, that I've, sounds right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, like m- musical comedy, that sort of stuff. And so as soon as I heard that these guys existed, I was pretty much an instant fan. Um, I started watching a bit of like Sandberg's run on SNL when I first heard of them, that sort of stuff as well. So I I really got into them. Um, And this is an interesting film as well, because I feel like up until that point that this was their most consistent range of songs i think i would say the soundtrack is probably their most consistent album only beaten by the one they put out a couple months ago the um the bash brothers oh, one, i love so. that i love that the bash yeah. brothers one is awesome <laughs> uh, I've, I've watched that uh the oakland knights video with the uh, k brown lip syncing sia like more times than i'd care to admit uh, <laughs> but so yeah good. it's so good that's that's i mean I've, i mean that's pretty much how they've come across most people's radars through snl but i remember 2006 when they had the dick in a box and then shortly thereafter (laughs) just in my pants and I'm on a boat. So I was kind of on board from the beginning. And like you said, I've, I'm always, I'm a big fan of musical comedy, Weird Al Yankovic, Flight of the Concords, obviously Lonely Island, Garfunkel and Oates. Like there's a bunch of really great comedy duos or Tenacious D. I can't believe I didn't mention them earlier yet. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of really great acts out there who you know, some of them, even like Tenacious D, like you change the lyrics to their music. That's like, that could be legit rock music, you know, like yeah. that's the the quality of the production is really there in a lot of these artists. And I think The Lonely Island have really ridden that whole, uh, you know, uh, lame white rapper kind of thing. That was their <laughs> shtick for the first couple albums. And I think uh, more recently, like with this soundtrack, it, it, it they do touch on a lot of different 
um, they, they stretch a little bit more in like their style a little bit. And there's a little bit of like early nineties throwback with the style boys thing. And, mm. and there's a little bit of uh, diversity as far as themes and, and topics and things like that. So, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on the money with that. Uh, their first couple albums, they have, they have a lot of great stuff on them, but there are, are always a couple of tracks where you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, the, what they were trying to do with this. Um, yeah. But I mean, that, yeah, but that's also comedy in general. You throw things out there and some of it works, some of it doesn't. You fine tune as you go along. So, uh, so that being said, since you're already a fan of theirs, did you see this when it came out on uh, June 3rd, 2016 in theaters or was it, did you well, discover it later down the line? It never got released in theaters in Australia because oh, really? uh, it didn't do oh, very well. That's terrible. Um, in America, they were like, "Well, we're just going to completely right. pass over here. Just go straight to uh, just go straight to home release." So I saw it as soon as the home release came out. I think it was the day of, um, and uh, and yeah, loved it. I was a massive fan straight out the gate because I was a little skeptical going in because I'm a fan of Hot Rod, but a lot of their not musical stuff i i don't love when they're a trio i remember seeing a pilot they did um in like 2012 i think it was that i really didn't like that much um so i was a little skeptical going into the film um but as soon as it started as soon as you heard uh that opening adam levine song i'm so humble i was like yeah now nah, this is good <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of had, well, uh, here it was released theatrically, uh, uh, obviously, but not for very long. So my wife and I did yeah. see it, I think probably even opening weekend. And I think it was us and like a couple other people in the theater. And I was like, well, that <laughs> does not bode well at all. Uh, because yeah. being a Lonely Island fan, hearing that they were developing this movie that was, it was, it was initially just going to be called Connor for real. Uh, and then it was just, you know, this vague, oh, we're doing like a, you know, a satire or parody or whatever of mm. pop music. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. I'm definitely, I'm all bored for that. So I was kind of tracking its development little by little throughout, you know, of lead up to the release. And so I was really excited to see it and I had a great time at the theater. And then the, uh, opening weekend numbers came out and <laughs> it was, I don't know, like 2 million or something like that. It's, it made a total of 9.6 million domestically. And it's, yeah. I even, you know, I've been doing this version of the podcast with this concept of bringing different guests on different movies and all like that every week for about a year now. And this is one definitely still one of the lowest grossing movies I've covered on. Wow. Well. I think it's this and <laughs> Sing Street, which is another great, you know, musical. Oh, I love Sing Street. Yeah, see? Well, I'm yeah, a massive like, fan of that. And I feel like both of those movies made under 10 million at the box office, at least domestically. Yeah. And, you, you know, have great music, great performances, totally different genre, obviously. But are both I feel like both of them are starting to gain momentum little by little. I mean, I've just mm. heard recently, I think uh, last week or something like that. I heard news that the Alamo Draft House uh, on the West Coast is hosting like uh, sing along screenings of pop star and things like that. Like I'm hearing that kind of <laughs> stuff. I'm like, that's amazing. This it's like people are starting to realize that you know this was it was on Netflix for a while. So I feel like people mm. are are starting to discover it, um, which you know makes me feel good because I can I have the uh, the bragging rights to be like, well, I saw it in theater. <laughs> Where were you all? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it came out exactly. and nobody went to see it. Uh, are you kind of getting the sense that people are starting to like recognize it? Cause even on Twitter, like I'm seeing every once in a while, anytime anybody tweets anything about pop star, it's getting lots of retweets and lots of love. And that makes, you know, same thing for sing street, honestly. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I've had like heaps of friends just discovered this film over the last year. Um, probably due to bash brothers as well. Like yeah. that was, on Netflix, I believe, and just 
blew up and everyone was like, oh, I've done any any other like narrative based stuff. You find this. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. Um, it's weird that it didn't get a lot of money, though, because everything is there. Like, you've got like Judd Apatow producing that usually brings a lot of people out to the cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the heights of Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. And yeah, it's. It's fascinating that it just it didn't it didn't make much. <laughs> no, no, it's I I think it's partially because they released it the beginning of June. I don't know if that's really the best place for it. I'm sh- I'm not sure off the top of my head what came out that Memorial Day weekend, but it was probably got crushed by some some enormous movie. Um, like mm. you know, it's probably a superhero movie. I'm sure I'm sure Marvel or somebody has that had that slot yeah, then, probably. Uh, in Memorial Day weekend, but. Yeah, no, I hear you about the Apato thing. That usually it lends the movie a lot of credibility, and there are so many cameos in here, which we'll get to uh, in mm. a little bit. So, yeah, it's 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 you know, it makes me feel good that it's starting to get some recognition and and uh, starting to develop a life of its own. So, going into this, were you a big fan of mockumentaries, that kind of thing? Like, obviously, this is way inspired by things like This Is Spinal Tap and all the Christopher mm. Guest movies that have followed. Is that something that you've been into or, or, or trying to, or are interested in looking into? Cause personally I've seen a couple of those and I, I like them, but normally mockumentaries are not necessarily my, you know, my favorite subgenre of comedy. I think this film mm. I, helped me because I had an in with Lonely Island and with, you know, a lot of the people on it. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was, I, I was, um, I was into mockumentaries, but not in a huge way. Mm. I think up until when this came out, yeah, like Spinal Tap really was the only one that that I was a massive fan of. Um, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if I saw a documentary now before or after this. I'm pretty sure it was after. That's um that's Fred Armisen and Bill Hader's uh, a mockumentary series, which I've am a massive fan of at the moment. Um, but stuff like that before Popstar, I, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I was huge into that subgenre. Um, although I think Sharknado released a making of mockumentary <laughs> in like 2014 or something that I had a bit of fun with. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the, the same as you. Uh, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't hu- huge in that uh, when this came out. I feel like it's the kind of movie you have to acquire a taste for. You know, you have to watch them a couple of times to really to really appreciate the nuances in it. I'm thinking of something like uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a great movie. But oh, I yeah. think if you watch if you watch a mockumentary and you've never seen one before, I think you're more like I don't I don't get it. like it's in a way like so un, uh, new so quiet so nuanced so um, dry and a lot of times that you're mm. like okay I get that that's supposed to be funny but I'm not like really feeling it um, and I think that that's you know maybe that's part of why people didn't really flock to this one too much because they were like wait what is this is he a, <laughs> what's going on you know maybe younger <laughs> audience members especially like a lot of the lonely islands fan base we're not necessarily uh, super acquainted with that subgenre i think that might be part of it but um but yeah no i think this it, it's also not only is it you know a mockumentary that about behind the scenes but it's set in the world of pop music and even the title is sort of a riff on the justin bieber never say never the, <laughs> yeah. the like live concert behind the scenes thing that like i mean Katy Perry had one. The cast of Glee had one. I mean, there was like a lot of that <laughs> happening, you know, a, a few years ago. Not so much anymore. I feel like that's kind of died down. But yeah. Uh, but even that, even those films are are very niche in a way. So I think maybe it was it was kind of uh, 
painting itself into a corner as we're going to be a mockumentary about a type of movie that a very specific audience <laughs> is familiar with. <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, you know, banking on the fact that people, you know, know the Lonely Island and everything. So, uh, so yeah, I think they, maybe that's part of it. Um, yeah. That could be something. That also, more. that also makes me respect them more though, that they just went ahead yeah. and made this like similar to Bash brothers and that's i think why this film is is starting to endure is that you can tell that they just there this was clearly a passion project for them i mean there's no way this is not a, it's not a franchise movie or anything there's no mm. way this, they were like we'll do this that's a sure thing i'm like is it though <laughs> um uh, you know and they, they're so committed to the gag that it really it really comes off on screen and you know we'll talk about sandberg's performance in a minute but there's such an earnestness to the to the story, and you can yeah. tell that they they called in every favor that they've amassed on SNL. Like, there's so many people that are in this movie, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake and Michael Bolton, and uh, a lot of the artists that they've Adam Levine, like you mentioned, a lot of the artists that they've worked with either on other Lonely Island stuff or like you know that they've appeared in and uh, worked on sketches with on SNL. Emma Stone, Oscar winner Emma Stone is in this movie. <laughs> um, in, in, in one of the more memorable, uh, more, one of the more memorable songs for me, because as soon as this came out and I got the soundtrack on iTunes, I was I like, I immediately was like, well, I need to learn that catchphrase verse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Patrick Stewart <laughs> money. Um, that whole thing. So I, whenever I, I listen to that, I, I still like I have to uh, sing along to that one. But, you know, they they go all in here, and I think um, they assemble a, a really cool list of uh, cameos. So what are what are some? Mm. There's so many. I mean, we only named like a few. What are some of the supporting and or cameo roles that really stand out to you? Uh, number one is probably Seal because it's it's so ridiculous. <laughs> um, that whole like wedding <laughs> sequence is amazing. Uh, as you mentioned. Emma Stone, um, a really underrated singer, I'd say, should should do it more. Put her in more musicals. Um, her verse, uh, her like chorus is fantastic. It's not it's not really a cameo, but Chris Red as well, because yes. it felt like a cameo when he first came on, kind of parodying Tyler the Creator, and then you realize, oh wait, he's in this for 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 a lot more, and he is also as you were talking about before he's also someone who i feel like people are starting to appreciate more now like he was cast on snl last year um i'm pretty sure he did some stand-up shows in australia at the start of this year as well so yeah he's fantastic um and yeah just justin tim blake is mr fish (laughs) (laughs) very memorable I'm just glad you mentioned Chris Red because I was going to bring him up too because he was one of I mean obviously a lot of the people in this movie you know Maya Rudolph Bill Hader there's a lot of SNL connections of course because there tends to be the case they kind of run as a crew uh, yeah. for different projects which which is which is great for me as a fan of SNL and seeing this movie I I he was one of the big discoveries for me was was Chris Red like that scene where um, you know he's trying Connor's asking him if he like switched off his costume so that his, you know, he would expose himself to the audience. Like, Oh no, I didn't. Or maybe I did like the thing he does with his eyes, things like that. So when I heard that he was cast on SNL, I was very excited because I remembered him from this. And that's how much of a standout he is in this movie where there's all yeah. these big stars. 
I think he has one of the most interesting parts because he he starts out as kind of a you know a friend to Connor and then develops into like an arch nemesis sort of <laughs> as it goes along. Uh, and this year, of course, he was bumped up to uh, a full time cast member on SNL. So I mm. think that's really cool that he's his. It's been fun to see his career just blossom just in the last few years since he you know he made kind of a. Uh, breakthrough performance in a movie that nobody saw, so it took a while <laughs> more for the breaking through to actually happen. But, but yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, um, some other cameos like I am a huge fan of Pharrell Williams in comedies because when he's not in a comedy, he's very serious and. The, the way he talks about like music, he's so passionate about it as well. And for him to bring that passion to pop star Never Stop Never Stopping in the interview segments is amazing because he's so serious. But what he's saying is like ridiculous, and you can tell that he would never say that in real life. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh of his cameo as well. Um, I mean, like Snoop Dogg's in this. DJ Khaled just makes fun of himself as usual. That seems to be the recurring joke with DJ Khaled cameos. Um, he was in another one recently as well. I think it was this year. I can't remember what it was called, though. Maybe yesterday was he in that? Oh, can't yeah, remember. maybe. Um, but he seems to be making fun of himself a lot recently, which is a, a, a lot of fun. Good to see pe- people do that. Paul McCartney, he's one pretty fun. Yeah, just a bunch of great cameos. Yeah, it's uh, Usher gets got, uh you know, credits his dancing to uh, Style Boys in the donkey roll. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, I like. I love that we get a very quick cameo by Weird Al as the mm. uh, the lead singer of Hammerleg, this like hard rock band, I guess, or whatever. At, uh, at one of the award shows, Joan Cusack is in this. Like, you know, I it, I also really think that um, Tim Moto Tim Meadows has a lot of really fun stuff to do in this film as one of the more prominent uh, supporting roles as the manager. Harry, the the uh, the fourth Tony of Tony, 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 <laughs> which is like a <laughs> deep cut early 90s joke. Um, I, I love that. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad that 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 joke made it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, of course, Will Arnett and the other people as the TMZ knockoffs, CMZ. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. was amazing. Those are some of the, this movie, ha, you know, it has kind of a a range of, uh, of gags throughout it. That, those are probably some of the most over the top ones, I would say just mm. like the way that the, the, the way that they're all so manic. I mean, uh, that always really stands out to me as like, as one of the like, complete balls to the wall moments in this movie that you, you, you admire the fact that this made it into a major studio movie, this craziness yeah. <laughs> with the TMZ parody <laughs> is it, that's so great. Oh, that is. Yeah. That's really good as well. And that translated well for me as well, because um, t- TMZ is not really a huge thing over here, but it was still very funny. So it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wanted to now go over to Andy Samberg and his performance. And I think what mm. m- for me, what makes this movie work is that, yes, Connor is the butt of the joke and, uh, uh, you know, most most prominently, but his Sandberg doesn't play him as as a uh, as a doofus per se. Or, I mean, he's kind of a doofus, but he's not like he's not. There's nothing malicious in the character. You know what I mean? Like he is yeah. very pure of heart. 
he is he is very earnest like he's trying to he's just trying to make good music and trying to make people happy and and that kind of thing and you can i think you can kind of relate to his struggle even though you realize that he's completely uh going about things the wrong way and is not self-aware whatsoever um I, you know there's this, this joke that's on the soundtrack that i always think about it's just like as one of my go-to examples of him trying to you know connect with his fans but doing it in like in completely ludicrous fashion where he's like oh yeah i have a new single i'm gonna be surprised releasing it next thursday at noon <laughs> I'm like, Dude. Yeah. Um, the fact that he has the whole song the i'm too humble which is probably in my easily in my top three uh best songs mm. in the movie and we'll obviously talk about the music shortly how much do you think how much do you think this movie would work if Sandberg didn't hit that right balance between being kind of a buffoon, but also like a well-intentioned buffoon and something that someone that we can, <laughs> someone that we can root for instead of being like, wow, this guy's an idiot. Like, why are we even watching him? Um, I think yeah. that's so important. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, if he did just play it as a very unlikable, um, perhaps even like pompous sort of performance, I'd, yeah, I don't think the music would really be something you just chuck on and listen to like for a start. Like that's one great thing about, about like his performance and the way that he just even like speaks as a character. Like, as you mentioned, like all his verses on I'm so humble, I just, (laughs) they're so, they're so like earnest and like he really does believe in his music as well. Like everything um, that he says in the songs, it feels like he really means it, which I think just makes it even better, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, you know, I, he definitely easily could have just gotten it wrong. I was a little worried that he would just be playing the same character that he plays in, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I don't think would have worked in this too well. Um, but yeah, he did a really, a really good job at coming up with Connor. I think what the smart thing that the movie does is that it's not even really making fun of him per se. It's more, it's in a way it's, it's not really, it's not really even cynical about the musicians themselves. You know, the Justin Bieber's or the people like that, because it's more, <laughs> if anything, these, the system around him and how he's got this inflated ego and the way his managers are. I mean, you know, one of his, uh, one of his reps has, has that idea about putting his music in the like random household appliances, which, yeah. which is kind of a, a riff on U2 and the, just their album just randomly showing up in people's iTunes accounts, um, from a few years ago. So uh, things like that, it's like he, that wasn't his idea. It wasn't his idea to bring Hunter onto his tour and, and kind of sabotage it from within. Mm. Uh, he, you know, he's just trying to, he's just really out of touch and, and, uh, and I think, the equal rights is probably the best example of that where, where, oh, yeah. where, you know, it used to have that at the end. And I think it's, I think it's Ringo Starr at the end. Who's like, Oh, you know, it's like, it's legal now. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and, yeah. um, the fact that the Connor does just, he's trying to stand up for something and, and like be an activist, not realizing that his cause is, is already <laughs> kind of, kind of moot at this point. Um, yeah. I, and not only that, but that in the way that the character is so representative of you know today's youth and coming up obsessed with like social media and their followers and and you know image and fame and all that. I think it's it, it feels like it feels like uh, the template for this is Spinal Tap or something like that applied to today's world, today's music, and today in a, in a very mm. you know 
uh, online centric uh, society. And I think that's that's why I think it's probably going to stand the test of time. And in, in you know maybe not to the same level of this is Spinal Tap because it was such a pioneer in that regard. But you know at least be in that conversation. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about the music in this movie, <laughs> which is obviously it's a musical. It's set in the world of music. So uh, what is what are some of your favorite uh, are your favorite tracks as far as their role in the story, or as far as just mm. re-listenability, you know, uh, independent from the film itself, things like that? Um, I think Finest Girl is one of their best songs ever. Um, it's it's. It's very fun. That and like Mona Lisa as well. I little I listen to Mona Lisa a lot just by itself um, because I mean one, it's funny too. It's also true. So you know uh, <laughs> she does look like a garbage pail kid, kind of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but like ones that really work with the story, things in my Jeep has always stood out <laughs> to me. The Lincoln Park collaboration, mainly just because of the joke um, after it plays where someone's like. It wasn't really a big hit because I had different things in my Jeep. <laughs> I feel like it's Nas. Is it Nas that says it? It might be at I the think, end. I think it might be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's great. And Incredible Thoughts as well is such a um, – It's the production on that song just makes it seem like it's so powerful where what they're saying is completely ridiculous. I think that was one of the first songs that like really – did that sort of production style as well. Like we've had a couple songs come out like that where it is um, very important sounding, very like arena filling sort of instrumentals. And then the lyrics are just ridiculous and don't mean anything. Um, So that one as well, I think is, I think is fantastic. Um, And the donkey roll, of course. I mean, (laughs) Yeah, I, Incredible Thoughts is definitely one that stands out, not only because I love Jack Sparrow, the previous collaboration with Michael Bolton and, and Lonely Island, but um, because it, it does feel kind of in, encapsulative of Connor and what we just said about how he is so out of touch. He thinks he's coming up with these profound ideas. He's like, I'm going to I'm gonna blow my fans' minds, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, mm. we're like, yeah, this is not an issue, guy. <laughs> we're, we're past this. You need to get with it a little bit. And I think Incredible Thoughts, is that's entirely the premise of that song. And um, yeah. it, it's just, yeah. It, then you have Justin Timberlake <laughs> as Mr. Fish showing up. And I, I, I especially love the fact that Justin Timberlake is in this movie because now obviously he's been a huge part of the Lonely Island's popularity with the, the three collaborations that he did with them, but also that he was this kind of pop idol back in the 90s. So it's yeah. kind of full coming full circle um, that he was in a boy band, uh, you know, back in the day. And I, and it's kind of feels like a little bit of a meta commentary to have him in this movie. Yeah, definitely. I was a little disappointed the first time I saw it that he wasn't a bigger part in the film as well. Um, just because, as you, you mentioned, I mean, his three collaborations, like him and Sandberg really are, a duo in their own right, Mm -hmm. I think. And, um, for, for him to have what I guess you'd say is a cameo was a little disappointing for me the first time I saw it, but yeah, no, his, (laughs) the stuff he does in this film is just fantastic in general. Like him as the chef and lining up the carrots and like, yeah, yeah, super meticulous. Uh, It's very, very fun. And just like, just lyrics in that song like tv is free but what is the cost it's just 
<laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah, the writing I think was uh, was particularly good uh, on that song, um, as well as what was the other one that I just mentioned? Oh yeah, as well as Maximus, which I'm not sure if it's really included in the film too much from memory. I mean, I just saw it a couple of days ago and. I, I, I can't remember if it was in the film, but it's one of my favorite ones on the soundtrack because it does pretty much directly parody Kanye West's 808s and Heartbreaks album. <laughs> like that auto-tuned singing um, and the auto-tuned crying especially uh, is somehow beautiful and hilarious to listen to at the same time. Yeah, I think they use it very briefly in the in the funeral scene, like for uh, like split second, maybe five to ten seconds of it or something. But yeah, uh, that that's definitely one I think that called, that flies under the radar. I really like I'm a weirdo too, which again I don't even know how much that's in there. But that's like like the catchphrase, um, the catchphrase verse from Turn Up the Beef. It's just one of those that's just really fun to like kind of sing along with, and it, and it's short, yeah. so it's a quick hit. You're kind of in and out. Um, but yeah, no, this, it's definitely <laughs> one of my, one of my, uh, favorite albums by them just because, just because it is, it's such a, every song has, has a, it covers a different topic and every song is just like, it's such a wide range of, of, uh, talent on it. As far as, you know, we have, like you said, seal shows up there a couple of times fighting wolves mm. <laughs> in that one scene. <laughs> oh, and I, oh, I have to mention, since we're talking about the different gags and things like that now. I I really love the I guess it's two scenes where the camera's not on the lens cap is on and there's the whole thing with the bees. Oh yeah. Oh, those are so yeah. brilliant. Those and are some of the, the best transcription ones. on scene. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I think um that was the first time that joke really was done and like landed well was the uh we're going to sneakily put in a fantastic action scene but not show you what it is, but it sounds good. <laughs> Um, and yeah, no, it worked really well. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's got a flamethrower at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me think there's a, there's a scene, there's a, a moment in 22 jump street where they're like driving this little car and they're, they're go through a building and they just come out the other side and they're like, Oh man, did you see all that expensive stuff we destroyed? Kind of obviously poking fun <laughs> yeah. at like they're saving money on the budget. And I, I, I love all that stuff. It's, it's so much fun. And this is, you know, this movie wasn't, um, cheap it was 20 million which is mm. cheap considering the amount of people in the movie um but but it's just also kind of a, a a fun creative way to keep things more contained financially and, and have just a, a really yeah those are really creative really creative jokes I, I love all that stuff oh yeah definitely yeah no same uh what do you think about the balance of the music with the the narrative like the balance of the fact that it's joke narrative song and and how they're able to craft a a a character arc from all that mm. because i don't know if you've seen the uh, special features on the blu-ray or anything but they have so many deleted scenes like it feels like another oh, movies yeah. it's like another i don't know if it's an hour or something like that there's a lot of deleted scenes of little bits and pieces you know more joan cusack and and things like that that just didn't fit with them trying to craft a uh a story out of this. So how, how do you, you know, mm. how well do you think the movie pulls that off that balance between the music, the jokes, and also just having a, a story about Connor kind of reconnecting with himself and his friends. 
Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of the jokes and a lot of the songs never stop the film. Um, because of the mockumentary format they decided to go with, uh, there is a lot of freedom there, I think, to just, like, have a song for three minutes. But it's still relevant because then you've got the interviewers kind of cutting into the song, talking about it, back to the song, and then you continue on like with the narrative after the release of that song. So I think um, the decision to make it a mockumentary really, really worked. I mean, if this was a straight musical, uh, it would be a mess. <laughs> it would be a real mess, I think, because uh, you couldn't really have these the songs that they wanted to make definitely like wouldn't have meshed with the story unless it was a mockumentary. Um, and yeah, the deleted scenes, I've seen a couple of them. Um, and some of the deleted songs as well. Um, F you <laughs> comes to mind as a favorite of mine. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, uh, is yeah. Just having all the kids just chant that back. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Um, yeah. Like they definitely cut out a lot and I think you can tell cause it's quite short. It's barely, it's barely like 90 minutes. Um, but it flows, it, it flows very well. Like, so yeah, like way better than a lot of other comedies, especially from like 2016. I can't really think of any, comedies that came out then i'm pretty sure that uh that one where zach efron where zach efron hires people to go with him to a wedding came oh, out in yeah, 2016 yeah. i think so and that was right. and that was the same length i think and it feels very slow <laughs> whereas this feels incredibly fast paced um and i think it's yeah just cause they shot a lot had to cut a lot out just made it a little bit more speedy uh in the watch which is yeah which is the the way to do it i think yeah i mean that's kind of the approach that they have with their music as well i mean they barely have uh any songs on this album or or really any of their albums that go much more past two and a half minutes or so i think there's a real risk there to you know drag out the gag and then kind of deflate uh whatever momentum you've had going on but it, i think mm. this kind of movie doesn't really get a lot of credit often for how crucial editing is for this. Like I can imagine, you know, a lot of this is the, is the talking heads and, and, or just, uh, Connor and, and, or you know, his, uh, his two friends, the other style boys, the other lonely Island people. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it's really, you know, to produce it must've, must've been not, not that hard to film everything. Cause you're shooting all the, you know, the interviews and then intercutting it. But it's yeah. just like how, how crafting a story out of that and not having it just be a, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, a string of interviews. I think it's really it's it's a real skill that they're able to pull off here. And it's not uh, the 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 level of filmmaking that it takes to do something like that is, I think, really, uh, really underappreciated or undervalued a lot of times that that they're yeah, able able to tell a story of uh, Connor's, you know, fall and then kind of rise again which again is kind of a it is it is kind of a very tropey biopic music musical biopic mm. thing that we've seen in a million movies and which most of them kind of fall flat and fall into that trap of well okay this is they're really really good and then they have a substance abuse problem and it all comes crashing <laughs> yeah. down and then they get into rehab and i think rocket man this year being a, a one rare example of a movie that actually actually able to transcend that and do something new with it and this yeah. movie kind of hits some of those uh, those buttons as far as uh, you have him where he goes, 
just uh, depressed. He has this depressed period where he like grows his beard and he, he goes out in, uh, <laughs> in public with his ridiculously fake looking fake nose, um, <laughs> which we should may mention Sarah Silverman also great in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic. So yeah, I, I really love the, um, I really love that they're, they're able to craft a real like character story in addition to being hilarious yeah. and the music. Uh, and yeah. we should, we should also say that Akiva and Jorma also, lot of fun in this film as well i think it's easy to <laughs> to put everything on andy samberg but they also obviously they also directed this film and i think mm. that their their performances really lend a lot to it yeah um yeah ajoma's whole thing with like his his dead mouse head um cracks me up every single time and akiva's story arc as well is like really sweet they they did a great job like we were talking about the editing just before the fact that they were able to make the whole part where Samberg goes to the farm and they have that heart to heart and it not feel kind of forced and not feel separate from the rest of the movie as well for, for the editing t- to make that work um it was very impressive because that is such a key point in the film but it's not really something that you would usually get in a mockumentary um, yeah, Akiva's whole story arc, I am a huge fan of, uh, all the various sculptures that he makes as well. Pretty funny <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And then the, and the, the true nature of his farm that we learn towards the end, uh, which is the whole movie. There's like, he's a farmer, but they never tell you what he's farming until like the third <laughs> act. And of course that plays into their whole, uh, creative process. And, um, mm. yeah, no, I love the, Oh you, Yeah. You, you, I, I just realized this came out in 2016 and only now in 2019 is South Park making fun of both what the farm is doing and music biopics. Yeah. See, they're Ahead just of picking up time. on it now. Ahead of its time. I, um, I love the, uh, the joke. You made me think of it when you're talking about Yorma with his giant mechanical head where he says, uh, Connor's trying to sell him on it. And I think he asks Hunter or somebody who, his opinion is like, Oh yeah, it looks like, the uh, the tip of Optimus Prime's dick, and, and Connor's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't you want to look like Optimus Prime? And he's like, his dick, Optimus Prime's dick, and I'm like things like that. It's just the, the movie the movie finds a way to to keep take its characters seriously even when they're being ridiculous, and I think that's why mm. those moments on the farm and their reunion when he, of course. This the classic movie dilemma: Should I go? Could I? Should I go on by myself to the poppies, or should I make it a style boys reunion and bring my friends yeah. with me? Uh, that classic dilemma, where of course we know where that's going to go because this is a comedy and it's it's the way that this, mm. these things play out. Um, but you're you know you're emotionally invested in that happening, and when it happens, it's you know I think that's the other reason why I like Incredible Thoughts is that it's a it's a hilarious song and the concept behind it, but it's also representing like these people, these friendship kind of being mended, and it, and it's 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 uh, in a way, kind of a heartwarming scene at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I, I love all of that. Uh, I don't know if I have too many more notes. Is there anything about Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping that we haven't talked about? I feel like this is one of those films you just kind of go on and on with. But I, I think we've hit a lot of the the main highlights. Is there any, maybe any gags or anything? Well, when he makes the... Um, the what are they pancakes or something and he puts his own shit in them i love that scene as well uh and it, again, <laughs> yeah, plays, it plays into the 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 people that he surrounded himself with are really what's called what his big problem is and he's just like becoming aware of that in that moment and kind of uh you know 
recognizing the the bubble that he's living in. I love that scene. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, that yeah, that was <laughs> that was really fun as well. Uh, yeah, um, like just just the team around him is a lot of fun and they and they work well with that the basketball scene for one where he completely misses and they're all like yeah you got it you got it and uh like that that is definitely one that comes to mind um uh oh we haven't mentioned bill hader's character as the roadie either i've become low-key low-key kind of uh, obsessed with bill hader lately because of it chapter two which i really liked i know a lot of people didn't care for but since then, I've, I've fallen down a rabbit hole with his SNL clips on online. And so I'm just like in a, in a Bill Hader zone lately. So I, I can't believe I didn't think about bringing him up here. Oh, yeah, I am. I am a massive fan of Bill Hader. I I quite liked it. Chapter two as well. His HBO show, Barry, is incredible. Um, it's very funny, but also like the cinematography is fantastic, especially in season two, like a, a very underrated show. I think uh, at the moment is, a uh, is Bill Hader's Barry. I mentioned documentary now as well. If you're a fan of Bill Hader, definitely I, check that out. I know I'm, I'm considering it because that, yeah, that's definitely something that when I was looking into like, what else has he done that I should probably check out? And I, I did see that that was a part of it. And, and the fact that Fred Armisen is involved, that's one of the, the characters or one of the sketches of, of Bill Hader's that I've gotten really gotten back into recently is the whole the Californians thing that they did on SNL with Fred Armisen <laughs> I love and, the him and everything. So so now that'll be something that I'll like bug my <laughs> wife with and be like, Devin, what are you doing here? Like I'll do, <laughs> she's like, oh, not this again. The Californians. Um, this is uh, so yeah. funny. The, those, those two guys. Like, oh, God. It's so good. Bill Hader is a genius. Oh yeah, they're they're both fantastic together and um and separately as well. Yeah, the Californians is a sketch series I am always returning to and quoting. It's yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> Big yeah, fan of that. Yeah, Bill and and a lot of the SNL people here, like Bill Hader, that you said they they show up. You get just like a, it's like just like seasoning on on the. You know, the already really solid base that the film has going with The Lonely Island. The fact that you get, here's a little Tim Meadows, mm. here's a little Maya Rudolph, here's a little, uh, you know, Bill Hader and Kevin Nealon, even things like that. Will Forte, you know, there's a little bit of people throughout. <laughs> and I, I, I love, you know, as someone who's on and off been a big fan of SNL, seeing the the veterans kind of show up and it just it adds a lot of flavor to uh to kind of not that this was I don't know if I would consider this film really an ensemble but it almost kind of feels like that in a way even though the three mm. you know, the three main guys get the vast majority of the screen time it feels like that because there's such a uh, extensive like support network uh, to, to help and kind of help the movie help connect all the all the dots basically and I think you know that's as far as the cameos the characters in the movie but also the interviews and everything I think that it, it's it's kind of the interconnecting thread that that keeps the style boys and Connor's story uh all focused and, and in line yeah yeah no definitely yeah and it comes like with the the, the territory as well with doing uh a music based thing like this like you expect a lot of um uh, a lot of cameos, I think. Like Zoolander kind of ruined that, and now with, with every cameo, with every film that's like making fun of something in the art world, uh, people expect cameos, and this did not disappoint, which was good. Yeah, the Maya ruled up one. Um, just that whole, the, the whole like aqua spin <laughs> scene in general is just one of my favorite parts. Um, how it 
completely destroys all the electrical <laughs> grids. Great. So, Sandra, unless you have anything else, can you uh, tell people where they can find you on social media? Yeah. Um, uh, the podcast, Oldie Buddy Goody, uh, that's on Facebook. It's on stuff. I am at Sandra Felcher on everything, S-A-N-D-R-O-F-A-L-C-E. Uh, that's me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd, if, <laughs> if anyone uses that. Um, that sort of stuff uh, is is just my name, uh, which is a good thing about having a name that is weird to spell like that because no one else has taken it yet. So it's good. Yeah, good exactly. on. There you go. Um, yeah. And the, yeah, the podcast is Oldie Buddy Goody. Uh, definitely stop by if you're interested in hearing two, uh, two Australian kids talking about movies, but also being very silly. It's a very silly podcast. Um, and also a shout out to the podcast 99 from 99 as well for, for getting me in contact uh, with you and this show. Um, they pretty much introduced me to this, uh, which was great. So, yeah, definitely check them out as well for an, a more 90s movies nerdiness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm you know, it's 2019, but nine, the 90s are still my jam. I'm still always on, you know, Spotify, 90s, whatever. Um, so yeah, 90s, <laughs> 90s cinema, 90s is, culture is, is always fun to revisit. So definitely people interested in doing that, check out both of those, uh, both of those shows. And uh, Sandra, I'm so glad we were able to talk about this movie. I know this, this conversation was kind of a, a while in the planning stages on and off just because life and, and uh, intersecting schedules, times differences for example, mm. uh, it's yeah. a huge factor as well, uh, because I'm recording this late in the evening and it's probably what um, afternoon morning for you over there. Just, it's just past two o'clock okay. in the afternoon. Yeah, there you go. So, um, but yeah, I think this is, is definitely a fun movie that people who haven't seen pop star and it sounds like that number is shrinking rapidly. Uh, that makes, that makes me very happy. I think they should definitely check it out. It's not I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. It was, like I said, it was on Netflix for a while. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that, but I'm guarantee you that Blu-ray copies of of it are probably very cheap on on uh, Amazon and <laughs> just like overstocked with boxes of Popstar um, Blu-ray. So you know, it's it's definitely I think an easy blind buy if you can find it for like a few bucks. And oh yeah, just because it's. It's it's I think it's turning into one of those like comfort movies for me in a way, you know, when I just want to put on something yeah. just to kind of unplug and just like, you know, even if it's in the background while I'm on the computer or whatever. Uh, and digital copies obviously help with this where I could just go because I have the Blu-ray and, and, and I can just pop it on my movies anywhere or whatever, um, just because it is so rewatchable. And it's one of those comedies that I think do impart to the, the story, the music, the cast and the cameos. It's you mm. feel like, I feel like you notice something new every time you watch it. Yeah, it's definitely up there, um, probably on par with like Wet Hot American Summer, which is another comedy that I find myself returning to at least once a year. It's definitely on that on that level for me. Because, um, yeah, it's just it's one that like there are definitely some comedies where like you watch it a couple times and the and the, the jokes just don't hit as hard. Um uh, some films come to mind. I probably won't mention them, um, but like what we do in the shadows is a movie that I absolutely adore. But after a little while, it doesn't hit too hard. You got to kind of like uh, give yourself a little bit of a break on it when it comes to rewatching. Whereas I, I've never found that with this um, or with any lonely Island uh, related stuff in general. Um, all of their songs just always return back to it. And they're always, as good as the last time. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, this conversation is making me want to go and either put on Popstar or put on the the Bash Brothers for a little bit <laughs> and then just kind of unwind to that just because, I yeah, I love their, their uh, creative voice. And I hope that the fact that this movie didn't do well in theaters doesn't significantly, like, hurt their chances of getting a chance to do another feature length project. Cause I, 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 you know, I think this movie is already gaining speed, uh, steam just a few years after it's failed theatrical release. And I, mm. I, you know, I'm sure that they can come up with something equally memorable. So hopefully we'll get to see that in the next few years. Yeah, for sure. Um, even if it's like a Netflix movie, I know that they were involved in, uh, Tim Robinson's sketch series that dropped a little earlier in the year. What well, I think you should leave. I think it was called, yeah, um, so. like they were involved in that and that was a bit of a, a runaway hit as well. So it, yeah, even if it's like a Netflix movie, I think, uh, I think they should definitely try and try and get <clears throat> another one out. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Netflix, if you're listening to this podcast, which would be really Awesome if you are. Um, uh, sign Lonely Island to one of those uh, Adam Sandler sized deals, and uh, and uh, I, I guarantee they'll probably come up with more consistent quality stuff than Adam Sandler would. <laughs> so, but that's that's a talk for another day. Sandro, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this. I would love to have you back at some point. Uh, I'm rounding off the recording for 2019, but 2020 we'll definitely talk about uh, getting you back on here to talk about another film. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that would be great. Maybe just do something serious next time. Yeah, mix it up. There you go. There you go. Do something bad and serious. (laughs) Like The Room? That makes Um, me think of The Room. Bad, serious. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, no, that definitely checks out. Um, Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun and it has been a while in in the making, but it's been good to... uh, to record with you we'll have to try and get you on my show as well we don't really do um international guests actually we we haven't done an international guest on this on um on our show yet so we'll have to we'll have to try and get that working next year as well that'd be fun yeah absolutely let me know will do yeah awesome thanks sandro if you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>